Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you so much for songs. We love to sing to you, and we love to sing together. And Father, so much of that is what makes up a worship service. We thank you for that. Father, we thank you that in the midst of a busy weekend, we have devoted Sunday mornings to gathering together. And Father, this morning as we gather to worship, we are aware that many churches in the Carolinas are not able to meet today because of Hurricane Florence. Father, we pray your mercy and blessing on them that you would guard people, protect people. We pray, God, that the storm would go away. But Father, for us here, we're able to meet. And what an honor and privilege it is. Father, we thank you for it. We ask that we would not just be here today, Father, but we would be active, uh, considering, focused on that Jesus Christ died on the cross, was buried in the grave, rose again, and now lives forever. And anybody that knows him, believes in him, loves him, follows him, will be safe and free forever. Father, that's the truth that we believe. That's why we're here. And so, thank you, God, for this time. We ask your blessing on the preaching of your holy word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. If you would, turn in the Bible to Jonah chapter 4. Jonah chapter 4. There are only four chapters in Jonah, and so we are just about finished. I do think I'm going to do one more week in Jonah next Sunday, and then we'll move on to Micah. We've been in this minor prophet now for quite some time, Jonah, and today we're going to look at the final chapter, the end of the story, Jonah 4. If you didn't bring a Bible, it's page 852 in the Pew Bible there if you want to do that. If you've lived long enough, you know you've got to be careful in trying to diagnose or uh, judge somebody. Somebody. You never know what somebody is going through. You never know what they're thinking or feeling. Hopefully you know that. There's a passage in the Bible in 1 Samuel 16 where Israel's first king, Saul, has uh, failed and uh, fallen from being the king, and they need a new king. And God sends Samuel to the house of Jesse, 1 Samuel 16. God sends Samuel, his kind of prophet man, to the house of Jesse to find another king. God says the king is there, the next king. And so it's a fascinating story. You want to go back and read it possibly, 1 Samuel 16. So Samuel goes there and says to Jesse, I've come, I need to see your sons. So he brings out his oldest son, and Samuel's kind of waiting for God to say that's the one, and he sends out his oldest, presumably the biggest and strongest, and, and God says that's not the one. So Samuel says, nah, it's not him. Do you have any other sons? He says, yeah, and he calls the second oldest. God says, nah, it's not him. And Samuel's going, what's the deal? And he says, Jesse, you have any other sons? He says, yeah, I've got another. And he says, okay, we'll bring him out. So here comes the third oldest. God says, nah, it's not him. And you're reading it. You're going, well, what in the world? thought you sent Samuel there to get a king. Samuel says, Jesse, you have any more? He says, well, look, I've got, I've got seven sons. So he brings out one by one all seven, and Samuel looks them up and down to see if they look like they could be the king because, let's be honest, Samuel, like us, is looking for somebody that fits the part often and goes through all seven, and God says, no, 
So Samuel's left going, well, what happened, God? I thought you sent me here to find the next king. So Samuel says to Jesse, are you sure those are all of your sons? And Jesse says, well, I do have one more, but he's the youngest, smallest, and he's out in the field taking care of the sheep. I didn't even consider him. He's so much not what we were looking for. I didn't even consider him. And Samuel says, well, let me see him. And the youngest, smallest, David, comes in. And God says, that's my guy. And God says to Samuel, I don't look at people the way y'all look at people. Man looks on the outside, but God looks at the heart. It's one of the most beautiful truths in the Bible. God's different from us, y'all. There's a big talk about how he's also like us, and I love that one too, but there are also ways that God is different from us, and one of them is that God is able to see the whole person. God is not able to just see the outer like you and I are. God sees the inside. God not only knows what you do, but God knows the motive behind what you do. That's a deep thought. That's a thought that I hope here this morning that you might consider and be honest with even in yourself. God knows what you're feeling on the inside. When Jonah chapter 4, we kind of get to the heart of this. Jonah is a prophet called by God. We saw him in chapter 1 run and flee. He didn't want to do what God wanted him to do. Matter of fact, he didn't even want to be in the presence of God. It doesn't say he fled God's calling. It says he fled God. He fled from the presence of the Lord, as bad as that sounds. It gets real ugly, and he's ready to die, and they throw him overboard. And then God appoints a big fish to swallow him up. After three days, the fish spits him back out. He's on dry land. And now he goes and does what God tells him to do. And in doing that, preaching, God brings revival to these people of Nineveh, these pagan, godless people. And they turn and they believe in God. And they repent of their sins. And God gives life, newness of life. God saves them and gives them himself. They went from not knowing God to knowing God. They went from not believing to believing. And God did it all through his man, Jonah the prophet. And it really is a great story and then you get here to chapter four and there's all types of issues with Jonah I'll be honest chapter four is very troubling to me I don't even know what my conclusions are on this guy Jonah it seems to be such uh, a problem look with me if you will at the very last verse of chapter three verse ten when God saw what they did how they turned from their evil way God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. God, in saying he was going to overthrow Nineveh in 40 days, said he was going to destroy them for being so sinful, so disobedient, so godless, so careless with their living. God had said that to them. Now he has changed his mind on that. He's not going to do that. He's relented from that. He has now shown them mercy, and now he has welcomed in the Ninevites into his kingdom because they have repented of their sins and they are believing in God. That's what one through three are about. We pick up today now at chapter four, and I want to walk us through it. Chapter four, verse one, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. That's such a sad and ugly verse in the Bible. Jonah was upset about it. Not just a little bit upset, he was really, really 
upset. He was exceedingly displeased and he was angry. Jonah wasn't happy. And it really is hard to digest this. Why wasn't he happy? What was Jonah's problem? What bothered him so much? Last week I preached to you all that God is a God of second chances and nobody knew that as well as Jonah. We see in chapter 1 being repeated in chapter 3. God gives second chances. God is a God of grace and mercy and God gives second chances. No matter who you are or where you're from or what you've done or how you even feel right now deep in your soul, there is mercy for you in Christ if you will turn to Jesus. And Jonah knows this. Jonah had just experienced that in his own life. Jonah could give you straight-up testimony, clear understanding of how he fled from the presence of the Lord, God broke him down, got his attention, got him focused on the Lord, and then he went back and did something for God. One through three, show us that. But because of that, now Jonah is displeased, he is upset, he is unhappy. What's his problem? Well, his problem in a lot of ways was the Ninevites. He didn't like them. He didn't like those people. He saw them as wrong, he saw them as uh, enemies, he saw them as opponents, but he also saw them as not deserving of God's grace. And I'm not sure what your feelings are on different people, or people that live uh, on the other side of town, or people that live in Indiana, or people that live in other parts of the world, or even when you get into things like people that live in the East End, or the West End, or the South End. Do you carry in you some bitterness and some resentment and some hatred? And are you mad when blessings come to them? Do you not like people, some people, to the extent that if God were to be good to them, you would be upset about it? And if that's you... Have you forgotten that before anybody else is undeserving of God's love, that we too were undeserving of God's love? Do we remember that we were dead in our sins? That we were trapped in our slaves to sin? Jonah's upset about this, and it really is bothersome to us that read it. He's so upset that he says this to God in verse 2. And he prayed to the Lord and he said, Oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? God, I told you. We need to be careful when we start talking to God like we know better. You need to be careful when you think God owes you something. Or you deserve something. I hear that all the time these days. I deserve this and I deserve that and we deserve this and we deserve that. We've got to be careful with that type of talk. God does not owe us anything. We have sinned against God. 
And Jonah is now kind of barking, if you will, barking at God. I told you, God, this is why I didn't want to do what you told me to do. Why? Well, that is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. Look at this. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Jonah knew what God was like. He knew that if he could get God to those people, God might work and have mercy on them. He knew that anybody, even the enemies, even the people he hates, that God is such a good God, God might work in them. Those people that are way out there, those people that are that way, those people seem to be so far from God. The people that God had just told him, I'm going to destroy you. Jonah knew that if they really get to knowing about God, there is a chance they will find life in him. And while we just sang about that great God, and while we are embracing, I hope, that great God, Jonah is mad that God is that way, or not so much that God is that way, but that he's not the only one that gets the benefit from God being that way. He's mad that some other people are now benefiting from God being that way. And this really is bad. I hope, folks, that you don't think you've got God because you're better than other people. And I hope that you're not thinking, I deserve it because I do so much, but those people over there do not, do not deserve God. I hope that is not your thinking. When you start reading this passage, it draws to mind immediately this well-known passage in Luke, in the Gospel of Luke of the parable of the prodigal son, where the young son runs away, takes his inheritance, runs away from his dad, lives it up, Uh, 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 ruins all of his money and his life and everything, finds himself broken down, rock bottom, eating with the pigs, and he says, what have I made of myself? I left my father that was foolish. I've got to return back to him. Upon returning back, God the Father receives the son back, throws a party, welcomes his foolish, rebellious, running, sinful son, welcomes him back, loves him, throws a party for him, and in the background is the older son that never went and squandered everything, never went and did all of that uh, worldly living, so to speak. But in his anger and jealousy and in his bitterness and in his self-righteousness, he is not happy for his brother. His lost and wandering brother returns back to the family and the father receives him back. And the brother over here that never did anything except for stay at home and obey is now mad about it. And it's just an ugly, ugly scene of thinking you deserve it. We love the way the father is in that story to the younger son, but we hate the idea of the way the older brother is. I think if we're honest, for a long time, a lot of churches carried that demeanor. That churches are better than people, and the churches look down upon people, and you've got to be good enough to be involved in a church. And can I just say here today, on September the 16th of 2018, that should not, cannot, Lord, please let that not be First Baptist Church of Fairdale. Let that not be me. Let that not be you. I'll speak for all of us right now. We are not better than anybody around here, not at all. We need God's mercy. We ought to adopt what Paul says when he says, 
I am the chief of sinners. I see myself as more sinful than any of you guys. You should see yourself as more sinful than any of us. We should see ourselves as more sinful than anybody outside of here. And our attitude should be one of such needing mercy and of such humility that we don't dare ever live or put on people that we are above them. May God's mercy make us that way and not like Jonah here. Oh, it makes me sick to my stomach to think that there may be people who live in Fairdale who you think you don't want them to experience our God. You don't want them to know of his grace and mercy and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. You don't want him to relent the disaster that is coming for them. You don't want them to know him. May that not be us. And if it is, may God grip you today and you repent. May you be late to lunch today as you hit your knees here in this sanctuary to say, God, I'm judgmental, I'm proud, I'm racist, I think I'm better than other people, I'm self-righteous. God, stop it. Because Jonah in Jonah chapter 4 is one of the most ugly people we have in the Bible. He doesn't want people to know God. Charles Spurgeon said it well in the 1800s when he says, If you have no desire to see other people know Christ, you must not know Christ yourself. Jonah is saying to God, see, God, I told you. God, I told you you're a savior, and you're saving people. And he's upset about it. So look what he says in verse 3. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. It's even worse. Now it's like he's going to quit on God. Yeah, God, I know you got plans for me. God, I've seen your mercy all over my life. God, I've seen you do all of these things in my life, but you know what? I know what's better for me than you, and you know what? Instead of me going in the direction of what you want for my life, let's just end it, God. Let's just take me out. Let me end my life now, because I don't want what you want for my life. I want what I want for my life, and you're not going to give me what I want for my life, then I'll just end it. You ever heard somebody say, okay, I'll just step away. Y'all do it y'all's way, and I'll just, I just won't have anything to do with it, right? That happens like in our homes and in our families and our workplaces all the time, right? And in our partnerships, somebody gets mad and gets a little attitude and says, you know what? If y'all want to do it that way, then y'all just do it. I just, won't, I just won't be involved. Jonah's taking this approach to life with God. How bad is that? There's got to be some perseverance in us, people. There's got to be some toughness. Inside of Christianity and church people, there needs to be inside of you that sometimes things are a little bit tense and things are a little bit hard and we need to hit our knees a little bit more and you've got to limp through life going, this isn't exactly how I would want things to be, but you know what? I'm going to trust the Lord and keep pressing on. Jonah sounds like somebody who is so wimpy and so selfish and so all about Jonah. And what's crazy about Jonah chapter 4 is that we've just seen Jonah 1, Jonah 2, Jonah 3. Jonah should be saying, wherever he leads, I'll go because this God knows how to take care of me. That's what he should be saying. But instead, he's as ugly and prideful as he's ever been. We thought he was bad in chapter 1, didn't we? And you would think Jonah chapter 4 would be so much better. Like, hey, I learned the hard way, but he taught me. God of second chances? No, we need a God of third chances now with Jonah because Jonah is so ugly here, so sinful, so wrapped up in himself. He's telling God, I've got a better God. I've got a better plan than you, God. Just let me die. That's not good. Imagine how, listen to me. 
Imagine how different this story would be if Jonah was God. Imagine how different Nineveh would be if Jonah was God. Imagine what that ship ride would have been like in chapter 1 if Jonah was God. Imagine what your life would be like if you were God. Perhaps you're living like you're God now. You call all the shots. You don't listen to anybody. You don't listen to God. And so your life is going so wrongly in the wrong direction. And you may think it's a good direction, but it's going so wrongly in the wrong direction. Jonah would have died. Jonah would have been on a ship somewhere without God, and those guys just living it up with God not in the picture. Nineveh would have never heard, apart from God coming up with another plan. Jonah's wrong here. And so in verse 4, God answers him with a question. I love it when God asks questions in the Bible. You know, a lot of times when you ask a question, you're wanting to know something, right? I got a question for you. Let me stop right here. I got a question for you. And you ask a question because you need some more information. You need to figure something out. We ask questions. Questions are good. We ask questions because we need to know something. But with God, that's not the case, y'all. God knows everything, right? He's not lacking anywhere. He's completely, in, uh, completely sufficient in and of himself. He doesn't need anything. So when God starts asking questions, he is now teaching us by way of getting us to think about something and come to the realization that he's right. What he's doing, God is kind of doubling down on, hey, you need to make sure you understand this and three times here in the rest of our passage he asked Jonah questions questions that should be obvious questions that and sometimes are rhetorical sometimes questions that Jonah should feel and be broke broken and burdened over he says to him do you do well to be angry Jonah are you mad Jonah are you you okay you glad that you're mad? Jonah, are you so right about what's good for you that you're mad at me now? Jonah, did I make a mistake? Jonah, listen up for a second. Did I do something wrong? Is this my fault, Jonah? Jonah, are you mad at me? Jonah, what are you so mad about? Jonah, is it good for you that you're mad? Now, Jonah should not have been mad. Jonah should have been rejoicing that the God that made us loves us in our sins. Jonah should have been rejoicing that if the Lord were to count sins, who could stand? But he doesn't, and there is forgiveness with him. Jonah should have been rejoicing that God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish. And that Nineveh just learned that. Jonah should have been overwhelmed by the goodness of God that while we were yet sinners, God demonstrates his love for us sending Jesus to die for us. Jonah should have been rejoicing as the Bible tells us heaven rejoices when one person repents and yet we have an entire city, Nineveh, repenting. Jonah should have said praise the Lord 
Salvation belongs to the Lord is what he said in chapter 2, verse 9. But do you know why he was salvation belongs to the Lord, praising the Lord in chapter 2, verse 9? Because the only person that God had saved there was Jonah. And you know what that teaches us in the book of Jonah? That there are a lot of people out there that say they're Christians because Christianity only benefits them. But when you start to look at the truths of God and Christianity as it applies to everybody else, their Christianity stops. And if your Christianity stops when it applies to other people and it stops when it only begins with you, then I'm going to say here today, according to the book of Jonah, that I'm not sure you've got Christianity. Just like I'm not sure what's going on with Jonah. Now, thankfully, I don't have to know what's going on with Jonah. The book ends abruptly, and I don't know. But I do know here that his heart is in a really, really bad place. And God says to him, are you mad? Is it good for you that you're mad? The answer is no. Listen, if you're one of these people that's getting mad about things all the time, you need to stop. There's a right time to be getting mad. You need to get mad over sinfulness. But you need to also have a joy about you that God is always working, right? Even as we just read that the harvests are plentiful, right? And that God tells us to pray for workers. And when we pray for workers, God will send out workers. And when workers go out, they tell people about Jesus. We need to be excited that while in Fairdale there are many people that do not know the Lord Jesus, there are also many people now telling people about the Lord Jesus And right here in Fairdale, just like in the whole world, there are people coming to know God. There are lives being changed. There are people here today who are on their way to get baptized. There are people here today who are on the process of coming to know Christ. There are people here today who are just now starting to be followers of Jesus. And it's happening everywhere. And you and I need to be thrilled about that. We ought to be desiring that God would include us in this work. We ought to want to live in the kingdom of God and be used by the king of the kingdom to advance the kingdom. And Jonah is kind of in this setting but he hates it he only wants it to benefit him and he doesn't want it to benefit everybody else especially those people over there that are so different from him and it is awful so God says to him do you do well to be angry one commentator says this shows that Jonah's previous repentance had not been so thorough as it seemed he justifies his prior conduct on the basis of God's unreasonable grace Instead of thinking he was wrong, listen to this, instead of thinking he was wrong for disobeying God, he now reveals that he thinks he was right all along. He says, I knew you were going to forgive the wicked Ninevites. Unlike most people who sin in ignorance of what God is really like, Jonah's heart rebels precisely because he knows the truth about God and because the truth conflicts with his own heart's desires. I think we are living in a time where there are a lot of people who are claiming Jesus, but they don't like things about Jesus. There are people who are claiming to be believers of the Bible, but they don't like what the Bible says. And so we need to be those who will speak up and say, if you don't like all of Jesus, then you don't get any of Jesus. If you don't like all of God's word, then you don't believe God's word. God is bigger. God is greater. God is better than us. And to truly come to God is to come humbly and say, God, you win. You're God, and I'm not. God, forgive me. God, help me. God, have mercy on me. Verse 5, so here's what Jonah does. God doesn't kill him. God doesn't end his life. And so Jonah walks out. Jonah went out of the city, sat to the east of the city, and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. That's weird, He walks outside and sits down and almost just says, all right, I'm going to see what happens. I told him, 
couple days ago that God's going to destroy them. But in doing that, they repented and God had mercy on them. And so I'm not sure which is coming now. So I'm just going to post up over here right outside the city and let's see what happens. Why? Why, Jonah? Verse 6, now the Lord God appointed a plant. Notice that God did that and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. Does everybody see that? The thing that's making Jonah so mad about how God is, God's still being that way to Jonah. Jonah hates it that God is so good to these stubborn people. And so Jonah, being stubborn, walks outside, and God keeps being so good to stubborn Jonah. Y'all, God is better than you've realized yet. You may have been a believer for 10 years, but he is better to you than you realize. He is being more gracious to you than you realize. He loves you more than you realize. He is a father in heaven that knows how to give good gifts to you. He will bless you and bless you and bless you. He will satisfy your heart. He will take care of you. He will never leave you or forsake you. And Jonah's mad at God. God, I told you this was going to happen. Why don't you just kill me, God? And I'm going to go over here, and now I'm just going to see what happens. And God is now providing shade for him because Jonah is miserable in his misery. He's uncomfortable in his discomfort. And so God says, here, let me give you a little bit of shade and take care of you so that right there in your little pity party, you might ever think about how good I am to you. God is still being good to him. But Jonah doesn't get it. Verse 6, so Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. In verse 1, he was exceedingly displeased and he was angry, but now he's back glad. Do you see how selfish he is? Oh, man, God is good. He probably had that. He probably had that phrase down. God is good. I just want to praise the Lord, man. He's just taking care of me. He's just so nice here. Got this shade on me. Look how good he is to me. Jonah's all about God when God's good to him. But he's not all about God when God's good to other people. So God's going to continue dealing with Jonah. Look here. Verse 6, so Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm. Notice in verse 6, God's the one who appointed the plant. In verse 7, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. The same God that just now helped Jonah is again dealing with Jonah. Some of y'all may think, sounds like my life. Sounds like my week. (laughs) It sounds like me. We need to learn to not be like Jonah. When dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. Beyond that, verse 8, when the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And so now the the comfort that God had given, he'd taken away, and now Jonah is miserable again. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. So he says it again. He doesn't want to live in a world where God does what God wants to do. And I know that's simple, but that is a summary for so much of the world today. If God's in the picture and people don't want to live with God in the picture, then they don't want to live. Or, I want to live, so I've got to remove God from the picture. This is terrible. This is terrible. Pastor Scott Patty said it brilliantly. Listen to this. 
We were not made to be ashamed of ourselves and obsessed with ourselves at the same time. This is insanity. It is the insanity of sin. Let me say it again. We were, we were not made to be ashamed of ourselves and obsessed with ourselves at the same time. But that is often who we are when we will not trust God. Jonah is going from very angry, very unhappy, to very happy. And it's all about whatever is good for him from his perspective. And he doesn't want to go one direction in trusting God knows best. So he says to God, it's better for me to die than to live. He's now said this twice. But verse 9, God answers back and said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? So now God has now moved on and he's really ratcheted it up because, let's be honest, when we start talking about different people groups and issues and politics and all that, it is at least complicated, let's say that. But now we're just talking about a plant. We're just talking about a plant, and so God has taken a big picture issue of like the people of Israel against the Ninevites, right? That type of concept, which at least is complicated. There's some layers to it. And now he's taken the exact same thing, and he's got Jonah nailed down. He's got him pinned right here. You're mad at me over a plant, Jonah. A plant, a plant, a plant, a plant, Jonah. You're mad at me over a plant. And to make it all worse, I'm the one that gave you the plant. How selfish are you? I want to die because you took the plant from me, God. Where'd the plant come from? God. Y'all, God is doing everything in this story. Have you noticed that? In verse 8 of chapter 4, it says, God appointed a scorching east wind. In, chapter seven of, or in, chapter, in verse 7 of chapter 4, it says, God appointed the worm that attacked the plant so that it died. In chapter 4, verse 6, it is God that appointed a plant and made it to cover up Jonah that it might help him. As Jonah says in, verse four, it was, in chapter 4, verse 1 and 2, it was God that had mercy and grace on the Ninevites, and that's what Jonah's so upset about. Well, if you go back to chapter 1, chapter 1, verse 4, it was the Lord that hurled the great wind upon the sea. It's God that does these things. If you go back to chapter 1, verse 17, it was the Lord who appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. It was the Lord that caused the lots to fall on Jonah so that they could figure this whole thing out. It was the Lord who saved him, as he gives a beautiful testimony to in all of chapter 2. If you look at chapter 2, verse 10, and the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. And in chapter 3, verse 1, it was the Lord that came to Jonah the second time. God is the Main character in the story of Jonah, God is what the whole book's about, and God is the one who knows what he's doing, and we must trust him. But Jonah, for whatever reason, won't do this, and it is causing himself to be miserable. Chapter 4, verse 9, back to where we're at, God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And God, again, I said barked earlier, it's like he's barking back. He said, yes. I am doing well to be angry, angry enough to die. You can almost see that he's like shaking his fist at God. God is saying to him, Jonah, are you really angry? Should you be angry? It's a plant, Jonah, a plant that I gave you. What is going on with you? Yes, yes, I should be angry, and I'm so angry that I'm ready to die, God. 
if you were to calm down a little bit, walk outside and take a deep breath and come back in and try to reassess the setting, right? Hey, what's going on here? What's really going on in the story of Jonah? You and I know nothing bad happening to Jonah. His problem is on the inside of him with the way he feels about God. This is sin. I know I said a couple weeks ago that sin is seen sometimes in the committing, but also seen in the omitting, but sin always is a reflection in what we do or what we don't do from our heart and what our heart's desire is. Samuel and Jesse thought that one of my big, awesome leader-type sons will be the next king of Israel. He'll be great at it. And God says, you're looking at the outside, man, and for me to use somebody as a man of God and leader, I don't care about the outside because I'm so strong, I can take care of any outside. I have proven that time and time again, God says. I need somebody who on the inside will believe me. And if somebody will believe me with God, all things are possible. Nothing shall be impossible. If somebody on the inside believes me. And so here comes David. And the Bible says that David is a man after God's own heart. Did he sin? Yes. But on the inside of David, deep down, who he really was, was somebody who all out believed in God. There was a nine foot tall giant that nobody could ever beat and everybody in the world was scared of. And David says, let me fight him. And they put the armor on him and the armor didn't fit him because David was so little. And David says, well, forget the armor. They said, well, here's a sword. And David says, the sword's too heavy for me. I'll just go pick up five rocks. I got a little slingshot here. And they're like, you're ridiculous, bro brother. He's going to smash you like he smashes everybody else. And David says, you're thinking about what that giant might do to me, but I'm going to tell y'all right now, I believe in God. And if I believe in God and God's behind me, that giant can't do anything to me. And what happened? David beat the giant because God was with him. And the Bible says God was with David. And David believed that. Jonah Jonah hated that notion. Jonah was upset. Jonah was pushing back against God. We don't see Jonah necessarily doing bad things. We see Jonah possessing a heart that is in a bad spot, bitter and angry against God. God says to him, it's the second question, do you do well to be angry for the plant? It's a plant. Yes. Yes, I do. Angry, angry enough to die. Verse 10. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much God says to Jonah, Jonah, you think you've got good reason to pity the plant because it 
was offering you shade, which comforted you, and now it's gone, and so you're upset about it. But I've got people that I made, that I love, that I sent my son to die for. And if I want to have mercy upon them, I will have mercy upon them. And when I have mercy on a people, they respond to me. They repent of their sins like the Ninevites do. And they come back loving me. Jonah, you're looking at them on the outside the way Saul or way uh, uh, Jesse and Samuel looked at the sons. They just looked at the outside and they thought, that's good. And God said, that's not good. You're looking at the Ninevites and you're thinking, that's bad. And I'm thinking, that's not bad. I'm about to change their hearts. The whole key to all of this is being focused on At some parts in the story, Jonah's problem is God. At some parts in the story, Jonah's problem is Nineveh. At some parts in the story, Jonah's problem is the fish. At some parts in the story, Jonah's problem is Jonah. The answer to your heart's issues and my heart's issues is God. We need God. We need God's heart. We need God's ways. We need God's direction. We need God's honesty in our heart. We need God's bright light in our dark world. We need God's bright light in our dark souls that we might truly live. In that song we sang, Death Was Arrested, we said over and over again at the end, Joe had us sing, I'm free, I'm free. And as we sang that, I sat there wondering, do y'all... Do we even know what we're meaning? We're not talking about freedom in our country. We're not talking about freedom with our lives. We're talking about freedom from our sins, which at the very core of that is freedom from us. We've been freed up to not be like Jonah. We've been freed up to not think me, 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 and even be mad at God if it's not all about me. We've been freed up to say God's glory is what I want to live for. We've been freed up to live for Jesus And if God wants to have mercy on them, praise the Lord. If God wants to have mercy on them, praise the Lord. If God wants to have mercy on them, praise the Lord. If God wants to have mercy on those people that are miles and miles away from here, praise the Lord. If God wants to have mercy on the people that have done you wrong, praise the Lord. God knows best. And to really trust him is to give him glory in it all. you're wondering about that, then let me remind you yet again that while we were that way, while we are the way we are, Jesus comes and knowing what we're like dies for us. And all along we could have said, man, he, shouldn't, he doesn't deserve to die. Man, he's, he's better than us. He shouldn't do that. He's washing Peter's feet and Peter's saying, no, you're never going to wash my feet. Jesus says, I don't need to wash your feet. I need to wash all of you. Jesus died to set us free from our sins, to give us life, to change us on the inside. And once we get changed on the inside, God begins the work of changing us on the outside. 
with Jonah, we see some obedience on the outside, but I don't know if we ever do on the inside. For us, may Christ truly be Lord, God, King in our hearts. May we look at Jonah and say, I see myself there too much. May we repent. May we be humble enough to say, I'd rather be like a Ninevite than I would like God's prophet Jonah. For the Ninevites repented and cried out, God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. And may your heart say in Jesus, I know he loves me. I know he forgives me. I know I'm safe. I know I'm his because of Christ. Let's pray. Father in heaven, the story of Jonah has been good for us. It's now our fifth week here. And yet, God, the, the pride and self-righteousness of Jonah here it, it hits home. Father, I pray that you would have mercy on us and lead us to repentance. I pray, God, that we would see what you're like as Jonah expresses it again in chapter 4, and we would say, that's the God I want, and we would believe in you but we would understand that we get you from turning from us. God, set us free from being so wrapped up in ourselves that we can't actually look to you. God, do that work now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.